Hi, I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Hello, Tommy. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome, everyone. So, Tommy, you have just got back from Italy. How was the trip? It was hell. Because, well, <laughs> I mean, listen, re-entry after spending several days at your incredibly beautiful villa in the warm weather of Tuscany in the springtime. I mean, obviously, coming back to work and coming back home to the mess and all the things... Not so hot. But we had a good time, right? We did. We had a wonderful time. And, and the, you know, as always, it was incredibly moving, deeply special in all ways, and delicious and visually beautiful and stimulating. I mean, it's just really my favorite thing to do in my calendar. Yeah. And so thank you again, because both Patrick and I really had a wonderful time. Well, somebody said to me the other day, the Tuscan harmonies, which I think kind of describes it. But we did do one thing, which I know was your kind of favorite. And we went to the world famous Arezzo market. Now, um, just so everybody knows, Arezzo is a large town, a small city. And um, it's between Florence and kind of Rome. And it's famous for art. And, mm -hmm. But it's also famous because once a month, and I, if you are going to Italy, I, it's on the border of kind of Tuscany and Umbria, um, but, I, but it's a great recommendation. It's once a month. So it's the first weekend of the month. It's the second largest antique market outside Paris. And what makes it very unusual and so exciting is all the medieval streets are packed with stuff. And people come from all over the country. They come from France. They come from Spain with truckloads of stuff. So I can't breathe when I arrive because my heart is going bang, 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 bang. Uh, Tommy and I went there and did some filming uh, for the Marilyn Dennis show. And we also um, did a little bit of shopping. And you bought something, didn't you? I did. Well, listen, this uh, experience combines two of my very favorite things, which is to say a beautiful, uh, incredibly old architectural uh, streetscape with antiques and vintage furniture and homewares buying. So for me, oftentimes, Debbie, as you know, when you go to a market, say in England, um, that sells antiques and bric-a-brac, very often you're in a car park. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. You're not in a gorgeous medieval village. Yeah. And so the setting itself, this market that is set against this incredibly beautiful sort of large town village is visually as stimulating as the things that you're looking at. Exactly. When I was at the villa last, I noticed in your kitchen, you had these amazing wood-carved washboards that are incredibly sculptural because they're all kind of zigzagged and carved. And I have been coveting those ever since. And because you showed me where you get them, I was able to get one for myself. So now we're twinsies in terms of our, our antique washboards. And two very handsome brothers. So these these guys. Oh, yeah. Are, oh, the dealers were <laughs> down, Tommy. White. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys are from Puglia, which is the heel. You know, Italy's known as the boot. The heel is, is Puglia, and it's a complete, it's like a different country. So there's these two guys who drive up. It must take them about eight hours, and they come every month. Uh, they must sleep in the car park uh, somewhere. And I, they're, they're a little dodgy because they have things that, 
you kind of know have come out of a church. So the the first time I met them, they had the most incredible uh, metal chandelier stands, you know, where you would put candelabra and things. And they're about, I mean, it comes up to your kind of waist. They're so big. And Mm -hmm. I bought one and it was maybe about 90 dollars 90 euros or something like that and uh, the next so the next time I went they had another one because they said it was a one-off and every time I, I went they had more um, so I actually have four of them and I, I think they're pilfering a church somewhere so you know every time I go they have it but they have a lot of rubbishy stuff but sometimes they have this jewel sitting there and I've bought massive urns off them that would have once contained olives like really mm. high huge urns that if you went to uh, Restoration Hardware they'd be like 10 grand you know um and there they're maybe 200 euros or something like that um Mm. but these washboards are very funny because we buy them because um first of all the guests love them because they can get it in a suitcase but in the old days the laundry was done in the village square in the piazza Mm. and there would always be a trough and the women would hang around and scrub their old man's knickers, you know, on these washboards <laughs> and stuff. But they make a lovely cheese plate. <laughs> um, so yeah. you try not to tell your guests what, you, what they're eating off. But they're <laughs> solid wood. So one side is flat, and you will see them at all the markets around Europe. One side is mm-hmm. flat, and the other, like you said, is a concertina, uh, like a fan of, 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 of kind of grooves, if you were deep, deep, yes. like half-inch like grooves. Like an accordion. Yeah, an exactly. An accordion of grooves. Exactly. And, and they do fit. Some of them are very large, but you can get them so they fit in suitcases and they look great hanging on a wall and, and, and things like that. And it's funny because just thinking about these um, these women and the chores and what it was like mm-hmm. to take your laundry up to the square or down to the square and 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 how long it would take and and what a life they had. A few years ago, when when we'd finished the villa, I had no artwork. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good with art. And I was like, oh, you know, I really didn't know what to, if I needed anything, for instance, in the rooms. Um, I had this idea, why don't I get iconic pictures of well-known Italians, maybe from the 30s, 40s, 50s, Sophie Loren, you know, Elizabeth Taylor on the back of a scooter, you know, all that kind of stuff. But also women doing what women do mm-hmm. in those days, which was working, and have them blown up. And I met this marvelous uh, woman. She was a guest who lives in Ontario and she has a company that wraps trucks. So they put the advertising on the side of trucks. So they have the machines to do massive kind of prints. And I was talking to her and she said, I'll do it for you. Oh my God, it was so kind of her. And so we looked for images which she could take a a three inch square image and blow it up to the size of a whole wall kind of thing. And then we frame them. and, And I do have one of Sophie Loren when she was kind of 13 or 14, which is magnificent. Anyway, I was looking for images and I decided to write to an image library in Florence. Mm. And I found this wonderful woman who spoke perfect English. And I said, I'm looking for black and white pictures of women working in the countryside, in the towns, in Mm -hmm. Italy in the old days. So she said, oh, absolutely. We've got so many. I'll send you some. So she sent me hundreds. So I poured myself a glass of wine. I sat one evening and I went through them all. And by the time I'd finished, I was like, none of them worked. 
because they all look so miserable. So I wrote to her <laughs> and I said, look, thank you so much for sending these. They're, they're incredible situations. They're wonderful. You know, women on the back of hay bales, women, you mm-hmm. know, in the country at picnics, you know, scrubbing and doing this. I said, but they all look so miserable. I said, do you have any where women look happy? She wrote the funniest email back. She said, happy? Nobody was happy in those days. They were working too hard. It was not a good time to be a woman. So that was funny. Anyway, finally, you know, I did find a load and, and we ended up blowing them up and framing them. And, and they're, they're, they're marvelous. Um, they are. They look amazing. They do. And I love black and white. So, you know, we're in the summer months now. And, you know, I know you and me, our favorite things is scouring the world for bric-a-brac and bits and pieces that we can reinvent. And again, you know, I built a show off that, um, mm-hmm. reinventing uh, furniture and things, but it's not always as easy. So in Canada, it's called a garage sale. In America, yeah. it's called a yard sale. And in mm-hmm. England, very different, it's called a car boot sale because That's this right. is where you drive to a car park or an old field and, yep. and you open up your trunk and mm-hmm. um, everybody puts their bits and bobs out and you can buy them. And I love doing that. I could go down country lanes and down housing estates and suburbia looking for other people's rubbish that I love. <laughs> well, this is a travel story as well as a local story. And so if you are a person who loves the hunt for that diamond in the rough or that wonderful treasure that the seller doesn't really know, you know what they have, that extraordinary thing, then you're like us. And I do this at home and I do it almost everywhere I go. So when I plan a trip, I often will look at the local antiques market and vintage market schedules to make sure that there's something that I can go to. So I've been to markets in England, in France, in Spain, in Portugal, in Italy now, and all of the places that I like to visit. And of course, New York City, Los Angeles has the Rose Bowl flea market, which is incredible. There are all kinds all over North America and all over Europe. And, and really you just all Google over it. You just Google. I just Google it and look for local listings and make sure that I can have that experience during the dates that I'm planning to go somewhere. So it all starts with a good plan. Like all travel, it all starts with a good plan. You have to not plan so much that you don't leave room for spontaneity, but you do need to kind of know because there's nothing worse than being in a place like Lisbon, for instance, in Portugal, and realizing that the day after you leave town is the best market. Oh, That's very yeah. frustrating. And yeah. it can be expensive if you have to rebook your flight because you know I'm the type that would. So I love to plan for the visit. And then once you have, you know, the the plan and you arrive at the markets, whether it's in Europe or in North America, or whether it's a car boot sale or a garage sale or an antiques, you know, market, a brocante in France, you have to keep your wits about you. You have to be focused. You have to know what you're looking for and maybe have two passes. So I always do two passes, one that I charge through to make sure that I don't lose the thing that everybody else wants. And then another pass that's much more leisurely. So for instance, if I'm looking for rugs, and that's my focus of this trip. And I know that this market is known for having great rug dealers. I do a charge through and I look at rugs, 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 rugs. Maybe I buy one, buy two. And then I ask the dealer if I can leave them there. This is a good tip. May oh, I leave this here and come back and pick it up later on this afternoon? Nine times out of 10, they say, absolutely no problem. So you make a note of where you were, maybe drop a pin on your phone, on your Google maps. And then you can have your nice leisurely pass and go through afterwards and look for 
anything that strikes your fancy, something that you might not have arrived looking for. So that's my number one thing is I like to make sure that I that I get it done quickly once and then at a leisurely pace the second round. That's a really good tip. And when I started painting before I even had the shows, when I was just arrived in Canada, two kids around my ankles, I went to all these kind of <laughs> yard sales, garage sales around the countryside. And I did a vernissage. So I spent an entire summer collecting furniture and then mm-hmm. reinventing it with paint, of course. Yes. And we call that upcycling now. Oh, you do? Upcy- well, it's a, do you know what? I think it's fantastic because if you look at most furniture, affordable furniture, cheapish furniture today, it's mostly kind of press board, isn't it? Um, MDF mm-hmm. and, and veneers and things like that. But really, before the 60s and 70s, it was solid wood. So there yeah. are all these, you know, you can buy a chest of drawers for nothing um, that you can reinvent with mm-hmm. whatever you want, milk paint, flat paint, spray it, decoupage, uh, gold yeah. leaf. I mean, oh, all the things that get me so excited. Um, <laughs> but there are things that that I think are so important that when you're looking for, first of all, you have to, you're not going to buy a chest of drawers for like 50 euros in the market here, because it's going to cost you more to take it home. It's not worth it. And that's another tip. Yeah. You have to think about transport, don't you? And how much that's going to be. You do. And the bigger European markets actually have shipping available within the market. It's sort of like when you go to a market and they have cash machines and they have food available. Usually there's also a kiosk that will ship your goods from where you're standing to your home, wherever that is in the world. So sometimes it's worth at the very beginning of a market visit in Europe or in the United States, if you live in Canada or vice versa, the reverse, to actually go to the kiosk first and say, hypothetically, if I bought a five drawer chest of drawers, what would it cost me to have that shipped from here to Canada? And they can give you like a ballpark figure usually. Mm. They say, oh, it's anywhere from between $1,000 to $2,500. Good. And it will be um, yeah. upwards of those kinds of prices. So it has to have... be worth it. It has to be worth it. So it has to be worth it. So if it's that thing, mm. you know, that you've been looking for for 15 years and it's the holy grail of your antique market visits, then yes, maybe it would be worth it to send it over. And if it's in good shape and you don't have to reinvest more money in it, mm. then maybe it's worth having. And if it isn't, then you still have to start looking for smaller things that'll fit in your carry-on bag. Yeah. Now, if you're doing this at home, so you're off for the weekend, they post, don't they, on lampposts and stuff, you know, where there's a... Yeah. I mean, I did it for years. Um, But let's say you're looking for um, chairs and you see a selection of chairs. You're looking for the shape, aren't you? Finish doesn't matter because you can sort the finish out. But what is really important is if there's a rickety leg or a leg missing, and you Mm -hmm. know you're not capable of mending it, you're going to end up putting it into your yard sale. (laughs) You're never going to get round to it because it's Mm. just not worth it. If you've got, you know, a friend who, or a partner or somebody or a kid who knows how to mend stuff and will do it for you, then it's worth getting. But again, you have to do the maths and apply the cost. So I know because I'm a decorator and you can trust me because I'm a decorator. (laughs) I know that to repair a leg on a single dining chair through the magnificent, amazing furniture restoration place that I use, which is called Eurocraft in Toronto, I know that Gregory at Eurocraft is going to charge me around $750 to do a repair on a leg. Well, legs are 
very, very difficult to repair. They have to be doweled in the center. They have to be stabilized because if you have a, a three legs that work and the one that doesn't, you know that you're going ass over tea kettle at yeah. dinner. So if it's that cheap, cheap old school chair from uh, a classroom yeah. somewhere, don't, don't get it if it's broken. But if it's one chair that's broken in a set of 12 chairs and you yeah. realize that every other chair is in great shape and that set of 12 chairs is selling for only $800. Yeah. So for pennies, basically on the dollar for buying new, then maybe that $750 investment to it. repair the one leg is worth yeah. it. Yeah. So you really have to do your maths. You have to do your, your comparisons. You have to understand, go to the markets and to the, to the garage sales, having an understanding of what it might cost to fix certain things. And also, like you said, know your limit and stay within it. If you have skills that are limited, make sure that what you're buying fits within those limited skills. Otherwise, you're going to be paying Gregory $750, right? Oh, lucky old Gregory, huh? Um, well, the other thing then is the finish, right? So um, yeah. and that's what I love. That's the bit I like, not the mending. Um, and most things, if you're going to find an old, say, an old set of chairs from a schoolroom, and you think, where, where are all those chairs today from all those classrooms around the world? Or the desks, which make really love yeah. them. They're really great, the old school desks. Um, I have them right behind me in my office. Do you? You've seen them. Those plywood chairs that I have oh, in my office. Oh, they are. Are they from a school? Mm -hmm. Gosh. They are from a school. Well, you always wonder where all this stuff ends up. And of course, it ends up in a in a yard sale. Uh, yeah. They're very often, they've, they're they usually a, a kind of a dark stained wood. And they're all they've got layers of varnish on, probably both. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going back in time now because I can do this stuff. I used to sleep, have dreams about this at one point. So if anybody really is interested in this, one of the best products on the market is, well, A, sandpaper, but two, there's something called bin 123, which yes. I have, I mean, I would have married a bottle of bin, a tin of bin. I know all about bin. Okay, so what bin is, is um, they invented it many years ago as a sealer for nicotine stained ceilings. Did you know that? No, but I know that it does work as a shellac. It's also sometimes called Zinzer. Zinzer, so yeah. So it has a brand name, which it's is Zinzer. Zinzer. Right, but, yeah. it, but it does several things. So before it's a shellac, which is a coating, what it does is it seals in any heavy stain. So people yeah. who smoke... The nicotine stains the ceiling. So if you, I mean, it's getting less and less now because people don't smoke as much. But if you buy a house and there's been a heavy smoker there, a good mm. painter will put a layer of um, zinza or one, two, three on the ceiling to stop. Mm. Because if you just put paint on, that yellow yeah. is going to seep through within a very short time. The same Absolutely. if you're on pine. So pine has knots in and the, and the yeah. sap in the wood, you know, it breaks people's heart because they spend all weekend or a week, you know, whatever, painting something, a staircase, uh, a piece of furniture, and they turn around and that goddamn knot is seeping through again. So yeah. if you put a very strong primer like a Zinza um, on it, it will seal it. But if it's a heavy varnish, you need to kind of give it a wee sand as well. And anything will stick to Zinzer once it's dry. So you can use a water-based paint after you've used the Zinzer or the bin one, two, three, and it will absolutely adhere to whatever you're working on. So it's a really, it's a miracle product. And oh, when, you're do, when you're trying to cover knots in wood paneling or in wood furniture and make them disappear, you can actually just put the Zinzer only on the knot area and then go over the whole yeah, thing cheaper. with the water-based primer and it's much cheaper and then you can put your color on yeah so 
a great thing. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my co-host. <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? <laughs> and when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen, sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com slash decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash decorator. I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. It's all in the prep, isn't it? The painting bit is actually quite easy. But the other thing to do when you're scouting all these, you know, secondhand fairs, antique fairs, I have a friend who goes to the flea markets with clothes. And what she mm. does, and she's been doing it for years, is she goes through racks of clothes through the pockets. Mm. And she has found <laughs> over the oh years a small fortune. That's amazing. So many years ago, when I was about 19 or 20, uh, I was living in London. We had absolutely no money and um, we had to decorate our flat. I was with a bunch of girls. So we went to a you know, a kind of car boot sale, garage sale. And um, at the car boot sales, uh, those are individual people who put their stuff in the trunk of the car and sell them from there. Yeah, they've cleaned out their closet or their basement. Exactly. And stuck it in the but box. there's always an area where you can dump stuff. So like, you can't be bothered to, like, what do you care if somebody buys granny's old chest of drawers? I don't care. You just leave it there, right? You can't dump things like tires, <laughs> and your rubbish no. and things, you know, but, but there's always an area of those fields or car parks where you can, you can put the stuff and that's the place you want to go because some rich person has left their chest of drawers and you can find some stuff. So we found a chest of drawers and it was quite nice. It wasn't rickety. I think we had this idea of painting it all black and white. One of the girls had an old car. So we opened the trunk and we, we slotted this in and the next weekend we took it apart we were going to paint it. And as we took it apart, we found an envelope stuck <gasps> underneath one of the drawers and Come in it, 2,000 pounds. Shut up. And this is in the 80s. So that was even more money. Even today, I'd be thrilled. But even oh then, can God. you imagine a bunch of girls? We, we, I mean, we had no money. And I think we blew it going out 
to the wine bar and stuff like that. But Or you probably bought miniskirts. Yeah, but it was. I mean, we said, yeah, we did that too. We said, well, do we take it back? But there was nowhere to go. You know, it, people had gone. Amazing. And it was probably somebody's life savings. So there are people who go to these not to buy, but to check. So always check the pockets, always check the drawers. You never know what you're going to find. Incredible. That is brand new information to me. I mean, as you know, I've been going to these markets and boot sales literally since I was like 12. And it has never occurred to me to check under the drawers and in the pockets of the vintage clothing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to do it now from now on. Why are you telling me this after I came back from Italy? Well, you've got lots <laughs> more to do. I mean, lots of markets. Now, um, if anybody is interested in this uh, subject matter and, and loving markets, I mean, it's not even that whether you want to buy anything. A market has a vibe, doesn't it? it and it's oh. a great way if you're traveling to see the local essence of a place. Mm, great way to spend the day and get outside and really see, especially at, at the one that we went to in Italy, the beautiful town and the people who live there yeah. and who live in the surrounding region. Yeah. So you hear great conversations and you see wonderful things. And even if there are things that you're not going to buy, it's a real education, actually. Absolutely. Well, so I have a favorite. So if anybody is going to France this year, there is one market. And when somebody told me about it a few years ago, I said, I've never heard of it. And this woman went hysterical and was like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, you won't believe it. And I thought she was being a little bit over the top. When I went, I was actually physically ill. I was so excited. <laughs> I could not breathe. So it's if anybody's got, this is our pen and paper moment. If anybody's got a pen and paper, this place is near Aix-en-Provence. So it's kind of the south of France and up. So you're in the middle of Provence and it's called Ile-sur-la-Sorgue. And I've been there. What? No, I thought I had something new. When did you go there? It's amazing. I was there last summer. Really? When I was on the scenic cruise, hosting the scenic cruise, that was no. one of the places that we stopped. Yes. So to let everybody know, the Sorg is a river, a very wide river, right? It and is, yes. and Ile Sur, that means on the Sorg. Mm -hmm. uh, my French is so amazing. It's an <laughs> island in the yeah. Sorg River. And you drive onto the island and it is only antiques. And it is famous because in the old days, there were these huge wheels because they yeah. built canals crisscrossing the whole, it's a small island, it's like a village. They crisscrossed yeah. the whole place. It's so picturesque. And they had these wheels that turned the water because this is where they dyed the robes of the cardinals in the Vatican. Mm -hmm. So they would dye these, these cloths for the ropes. And that's how it was established, the area. Then it became, I don't know when, but maybe 50 years ago or something, it became uh, famous for antiques. So they do um, markets all the time, I think weekly, but they yes. also, was there a market on when you were there? No, but there are permanent markets. So there's also little laneways yeah. and streets that you can go down that have permanent stalls in yeah. them. And so I went with a group of people from the cruise that we were, the river cruise that we were on, that I was hosting. And we went into the village and went into all these shops. And what's wonderful about them, actually, is that there's something for everyone. Oh, there's yeah. something at every price point. There's lots that you can take home in your, in your luggage. And then there are 
very beautiful antique stores that have extraordinary things that yeah. are very expensive. And I like to look at all of it and yeah. then decide. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm looking for clients. I took mm-hmm. pictures of a couple of things that I sent, sent back to my office and said, this may be what we're looking for, for such and such a house or client. And you can always contact these dealers and have them ship things back to North America. So I loved being there because I found one particular store that I was absolutely obsessed with. I bought a beautiful little ashtray and I use them as cash pose. Cash pose or vid posh are little things that are just little dishes or little places to hide things. And the vid posh, which means empty your pocket, old ashtrays, I mean, nobody smokes anymore, but old ashtrays can be quite beautiful. And this one mm. woman had this little shop that was filled with European barware from restaurants. Mm. So she had beakers, cocktail shakers, all branded with old school liquor brands. And they were in these most beautiful ceramics, gorgeous colors, wonderful graphics and fonts with these brand names on them. And I bought one and brought it home with me. And it's one of my favorite things. It's this beautiful green glaze with this little um, sort of ashtray pocket inside in the most wonderful orange color. And, and then white writing, crisp white writing on the outside. And if you look in my Instagram account, if you see pictures of my living room, my own living room at home, you can see off to the side this little ashtray. And it's a treasured souvenir of going to this incredible town that you described. Exactly. And if you're on holiday, that goes in a suitcase easily. I mean, where have all the ashtrays gone with everybody not smoking? I mean, there must be amazing- I buy them all the time. Yeah. I collect them. I buy them all the time. I have them from famous hotels. Like I have the ashtray from Claridge's. Have I ever told you that story? Did you steal it? Well, yes and no. Which means yes. I was at Claridge's bar with my friend Claire and we were having a beautiful bottle of Sancerre at the bar waiting for a table at the banquettes. And they had these wonderful little dishes filled with nuts and the dishes were white porcelain with gold trim. And then in gold script, it said Claridge's across it. And I said to the bartender, like a good upstanding citizen and Canadian, I said, are these for sale in the gift shop at the hotel? And he said, you know, I get asked that a lot and they aren't, but they often disappear. <gasps> and I, and I looked at him and then I looked at Claire and then I kind of like let it go. So then he said, I'm ready to move you to the banquet now. And he said, leave everything here. I'll bring it over. So we went and sat on the banquet. As you jingled over. And he brought over a stack of these dishes. And on the top level was one that had nuts in it. And underneath that were two others. And he put it down on the table and then he looked at me and then he looked down at the ashtrays and he walked away with a wink. And I looked at Claire and I said, put them in your purse, put them in your purse, put them in your purse, put them in your purse. (laughs) And now we eat that one. So yes, technically I stole them, but I feel that I was invited to do so. Oh, please, Tommy. He fancied you <laughs> and you, you nicked it. But I mean, everybody did that in the old days before, yeah. before they started kind of um, selling stuff in gift shops and things like that. And also before the days of giving a credit card, because you That's remember right. there's nothing more embarrassing than you get home and it goes four bathrobes, eight towels, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and you're I know. not going to complain. And you go, oh my God. So I have hundreds, I have hundreds of towels from hotels and they're always the best. Um, I hope anybody who's staying here is listening to this because I am the expert, (laughs) so I know. But we went to a party when Hans and I first met um, in the south of France at the Carlton, um, Mm. which is the 
famous, famous hotel where the film festival is. And they had, I'd never seen it before, but they had those things that clip onto a plate that your yeah. wine glass slots in. And I thought oh that was the cleverest thing. So you're at a cocktail party, you have this mm -hmm. little thing on, and then you yeah. can eat while your wine glass, yes. you know. You have a place to park it. Yeah, and I remember going to the bathroom about a hundred times and each time taking one, putting it in my bag, taking one, putting it in my bag, <laughs> and then clinking out of that place. Oh, I'm so ashamed. Did I ever use them? Never. I sold them in a garage sale. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Tommy, I wanted to ask you, you're a very um, kind positive type of person. I'm probably mm. not. Yes, you are. I know some things kind of bother you as much as they do me, but something is driving me insane at the moment. It's driving me insane. And it's not a long drive. It's not a long drive, <laughs> as they say. And this is a word. It did not exist a year ago. And everybody's okay. saying it now. It's on social media. It's everywhere. This mm -hmm. word is manifest. <laughs> what the bloody hell is manifest? I'm manifesting my next. Uh, I, I got a message of somebody yesterday saying, oh, I love following you because I'm manifesting my next chapter. I'm manifesting my next. What? Where, where did this word come from? You know, I think it's really funny that it drives you so crazy. Don't you agree? It's a new word. I mean, it's an old word that's been used in sort of current culture and vocabulary in a, in a newer way. And it's one of those words that kind of like becomes trendy and becomes overused and you start hearing it all the time. Like I remember when everybody was talking about collaborations and they would shorten it to collab and collab is not a word. It drives me insane when people say collab, but you know, manifest is it's almost like when somebody says like, oh, I'm channeling my inner Debbie Travis. Well, you can't channel <laughs> your inner Debbie Travis because channeling is bringing a spirit from the spirit world into your body. I know. And so Debbie Travis would have to be dead for you to be able to channel her. So people use words in the wrong way all the time. I mean, you have Google in your phone. Look it up. If you're unsure of the definition of a word or how to use it, look it up. It's just irritating me because it's, you don't manifest your next chapter. You don't manifest. It's just become a, a wokey, trendy. We'll have to yeah. ask Patrick because he'll probably disagree with me. But um, anyway, it, or maybe it's a youth, somebody very young or anyway, it's just driving me insane. It's another way of saying visualizing. So if you visualize your goals or your envision your next chapter and what it looks like, it's a version. Manifesting is a version of that, which is almost more of a complete thought. It's like, if I think it, it will happen. And so when you manifest something, you're really willing it to be real. And so, I mean, I can see why people like the word, but you're correct in identifying that it is really overused right now. I need a break. It's irritating. Right. So uh, what are you doing tonight? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you eating? Oh gosh, I, I don't know. I'll probably have to cook tonight because we're, I'm so full of gorgeous Italian food having come back from the villa that I probably need something really mundane. A slice of uh, bread. Just to provide context. <laughs> yeah, like just a, a burger or something, a veggie burger. Oh. I don't know. So there was a book I was going to lend you when you were here because um, I've got the series and I forgot. And this is a, if people, everybody's asking me questions about Italy and stuff because, and please, people write to me and saying, could you do my itinerary? Or do you know a restaurant in Italy? 
Mm-hmm. I can't do people's itineraries, Google. Um, but there is a book that is a series, I think it's three in the series. Um, and I read the first one. It's written actually by a Hungarian Canadian. Uh, and the first one I read 20 years ago, and it's called The Hills of Tuscany. And mm. this guy is uh, originally from Vancouver. He came to the village that you can see from my house, Montepulciano, and he came mm. on his honeymoon and he said, I'm going to live in this valley, which is the valley I'm looking at. And he rented a tiny little house on a little road called Colombini. Mm. And he wrote a book called The Hills of Tuscany, which was the most magical book I've ever read about a road and the farmers who lived on that road. And I wept my way through this account of his life. And I said, one day, I'm going to find that road. It's a back Mm. road. It's a white gravel road. And I live on the road now. And I never knew it was the same road. So that is the weirdest. So he moved from here to Montalcino. And Montalcino is half an hour from here. And that's where they grow the grapes for the Brunello wines, the really fancy wines, you know, the collector's Mm -hmm. wines, one of the best wines in the world. And he lucked out and bought a piece of land and produces the Brunellos. But then he wrote um, two other books. And this one I really love, and I'm reading it now, and it's called The Wisdom of Tuscany. His name Mm. is Ferenc Mate, Ferenc, not Frank, like F-E-R-E-N-C, Mate, M-E-T-E. And I think you can get his wine. You can definitely get it in the US, and I think you can get it at the LCBO. He does a very good wine. So um, Ferenc Mate wine, Mate wine, and The Wisdom of Tuscany. And it's all about... How important, because Tuscany um, is really a a place where it's in a time warp. Mm -hmm. So it's really what the countryside is like in any country, you know, where people live in a much healthier way where the community is tighter than a big city. And he talks about why they have great purpose, why they have um, great health um, and why they're friendlier. And I think it really is every small village and every town. And yeah. there are so many tips in there about community and how to bring community back. So it's called, anyway, I'm loving it. It's called The Wisdom of Tuscany. So I think it's really good. Highly recommended by none other than <laughs> Debbie Travis. And you can trust her because she's a decorator. Well, I don't trust you, Tommy. One bit. So, um, so yeah, so enjoy the evening and whatever you may be doing. Please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow along on Instagram. We are at the Trust Me Pod. Lots of ideas and tips there. And we will see you next time. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.